Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. I always think about what are the mechanics of things. Now, I'm not very mechanically inclined. You can ask Anthony. You don't want me to try to fix anything because it won't go well. But if love is why we're here, let me give and then receive. So it seems to me that the action steps that need to happen are understanding what is preventing giving and what is preventing receiving and then correcting the situation. So that's where I want to go today. And that includes how we love ourselves and how we treat ourselves primary, because that's how we experience life. And additionally, how we love others and how we can receive the love from others in such a way that we know we have been witnessed and we know that our intention to be conduits of spirit have been met. So that being said, I want to raise a probably a really uncomfortable couple of questions. Oh, and let's talk about being uncomfortable. We talk so much in unity and new thought about raising consciousness. Anybody ever hear those phrase, phrases? And we talk about being in oneness. Again, getting there, it's easy to say it. It's the getting there that seems to be a bit problematic. Because what that means we have to do is to look at our beliefs and attitudes about ourselves, our beliefs and attitudes about the world, and recognizing where there may be a disconnect between what we say and what we actually do, or what we say and what we actually think. And that can be very awkward, because at some time or another, we're going to have to admit something like, oh gosh, that looks like hypocrisy done by me. Or, oh gosh, I really just didn't get close to the mark on that one. But here's the good news about that, is when that day comes, that is the day of liberation and freedom. That means I've learned the lesson and I'm off and running. So, here are the uncomfortable questions. How many of you would say that Jesus was a racist? Okay. How, maybe I saw a couple of hands at home. How many of you would say Jesus was a misogynist? Um, okay. I just, I was worried I'd get struck by lightning, but <laughs> it might be a little bit later. So let me tell you why I'm asking these questions. Because really what we're talking about are prejudices and biases, and everybody has them. So that's, that means, hey, if you know, discover them about yourself, I'm normal. Yay. It's just a matter of how aware of them are we. And when, once we become aware, what do we choose to do about that? So there are explicit biases and prejudices, the ones you know about. I mean, there's certain accents that when I hear them, I just cringe and think, please stop talking. But I'm, I'm very keenly aware of that. And then there are the ones that we call implicit biases, the ones we have but maybe are not conscious of. You know, thoughts and feelings are implicit if we are unaware of them or mistaken about their nature. We have a bias when, rather than being neutral, we have a preference or an aversion to a person or a group of people. Thus, we use the term implicit bias 
to describe when we have attitudes towards people or associate stereotypes about them without our conscious knowledge. Everybody does it. Let's breathe. I'm not making anybody wrong or bad. I'm saying we're all completely normal. Okay. You know, and, and the great thing is, like I said, when we discover them, then we can move forward. And that's what I love about the 10th step of the AA 12-step tradition that says, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. There's no self-flagellation. There's no, I'm a bad person, no mea culpas. Just to state forward, oh, I did that. I'm, I got the foul. It's like basketball. Nobody gets a lecture after they get fouled. They just acknowledge the foul, and the game goes on. I mean, it's like that. So we can use that experience, again, as evidence and proof. I am raising my consciousness. I can see it. This is how it happens. So in unity, let's get back to Jesus. We refer to Jesus as the great example. I mean, the great example, not the great exception, meaning to highlight that we can identify with him. And I love that phrase because that makes Jesus very approachable. You know, we can see the humanity of this one who demonstrated Christ's consciousness. So he's approachable, but not necessarily above reproach. As a story that appears in Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15 shows. It's a story called Jesus and the Canaanite woman or Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. And so here's the setup. Jesus has been talking about fine points of spiritual law of the Pharisees, arguing who's clean and who's unclean. And then he decided to go take a rest. But he didn't get too far. And this is what the story says. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Just in time for Halloween. That's not in there. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Totally blew her off. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was instantly healed. So I, I read this story, and it, like I said, it appears in two of the four gos uh, Gospels. And I think to myself, did he just call this woman who is begging for help for her daughter a dog? It's right there. So the question that comes up in my mind, was this an explicit bias or an implicit bias? I mean, did he not even, was he not even aware that he had done that? And was it because she was a foreigner or because she was a woman? I mean, these are hard questions to ponder. It's like, really? Jesus, it's, it's there. Is it an authentic to the Jesus tradition? Yeah, I don't know. But it makes a wonderful teaching story nonetheless. I mean, I, I just wonder to myself, how could he be such a jerk? But I'm also very grateful because when it was pointed out to him, he did the right thing. 
I mean, it's like when we discipline our children, we really hope they learn the lesson and do the right thing. And it's the same for us all through our whole lives. When the disparity, when the disconnect has been pointed out, will we do the right thing? Are we humble and teachable and willing to grow and learn? Or must we defend our position, right or wrong? You see, if we're humble and teachable, then that means we may have to give up a position. And that's kind of scary because a defended position is kind of a safe place. As I've often said, spirit doesn't care if you're safe. Spirit cares if you're growing. And that's tacitly why we are here in unity and new thought, to grow our consciousness, to be unconditional love in expression, to do, be the hands and the feet and the mouthpieces of spirit in the world. And, you know, the psychological sciences have shared with us and discovered that our implicit bias predicts more accurately how we will behave than our stated and conscious values. So this is why that work of self-awareness is so important. This is why our spiritual practices are so important. This is why our inventories are so important. Not to make us wrong and bad, so I have to come back to that, but to awaken us. It's like the mission statement we have here at Unity of Fairfax. We are here, we are vibrant and a spiritual community awakening each life to the Christ within. We want to awaken to the beautiful truth of who we are, which is why our annual fall series right now, and this is week number two, is based on the book Trusting the Gold, Uncovering Your Natural Goodness by Tara Brock. Many of us were already familiar with Tara Brock. She's the founder of the Insight Community of Washington uh, and a well-known meditation teacher. And so what we are doing in this series, we're weaving together unity teachings with some of the Buddhist spiritual practices that she highlights in the material. And so what we want to do then is use our spiritual practice of self-evaluation, um, use the spiritual practice of awakening the Christ within and individuating and engaging in enlightenment so that we might discover and transform whatever it is that is keeping us from being love and expression so that we might be free of the shackles of thought and bias and attitude that prevent and preclude us from living in that state of oneness. That is hard work. That is the hardest work I think any of us will ever do. Because we have to do it in two ways. One on ourselves. How am I not loving myself? Or how well am I loving myself? And in turn, how am I not loving or loving others? Even if my words say that that's what I'm all about. I think for some of us, since that's our stated objective, we kind of get a little bit of a heads up on the work. And we don't have to make anybody wrong or bad in the process. We just want to help each other wake up. So what I want to lean into, and the inspiration for this talk and for the rationale for sharing about Hispanic Heritage Month, Indigenous Peoples Day, Coming Out Day, and all these other things, is an inspiration from the longest essay in the book. It's all five pages, and it's a small book. These essays are power-packed, to be sure. And I think it provides a, a witness and a model for any of us 
of how we might be instruments of repairing separation in the world, in which case, we, in this case, we use the word racism. She explains that how for three years she was a part of a small group of meditators here in the Washington area who met to, with the express purpose of deepening our understanding of what life is like for people of different groups. And really to come together, she said they were black and brown and white and transgender and heterosexual and gay and straight. And, and the intention was to bring mindfulness, awakening, and compassion to everybody who is sharing this journey together. How is it that we might be more together and have a greater sense of belonging and heal whatever deep attitudinal beliefs might be stuck in there? And I would like to share her words with you because it's so powerful, and I'll stop along the way. I'm a minister, so I have to stop and comment, and who knows? I might even take a second offering today. Yeah, yeah, we have to breathe on this stuff. It is not easy work. Because her words, I think, give a good model, especially for white people, to how to lean into this very difficult topic. So I offer some words from Tara Brock. One gathering that was held at my house turned out to be particularly disturbing for me. I saw how defensive and then guilty I felt about being white. I also saw how desperately I wanted to prove my worth as a white ally and how much I wanted approval for that from people of color. The insecurity had now become an increasingly familiar feeling. That day after everyone left, I stayed in the room where we had met and tried to untangle my emotions. I allowed the feelings to arise and in a short time touched upon an acute sense of being a bad person. I was white and I belonged to a race that was inflicting daily suffering on others. In my mind and, in my, and I imagined in the eyes of many others in the group, I was a bad other. As I stayed with these feelings, the awareness of centuries of trauma perpetuated by white people against black people, and I would say brown people and other people, felt like a crushing weight. Not only was I a part of the problem, the deepest pain was feeling that I wasn't doing enough to repair the damage. Let's just stop here. The important thing to note, and there are so many important things, and we could easily be here till next Thursday about this, she stayed with the feelings. She just felt what she felt. She didn't try to stop them. She didn't try to make them go away. She didn't justify them. She didn't defend them. She just felt what she felt. So often, in, for many people, when we start feeling uncomfortable feelings, our first thought is, how do I make this go away? How do I make it stop? Well, I'm not gonna do this. It's not my problem. It's not my backyard or it really doesn't apply to me, or I've done enough, I've already had that conversation with somebody, I have two black friends, I'm good. She stayed with it, stayed with what was uncomfortable. I leaned into that, opening to the felt sense in my body of personal badness, 
Quite often in our lives, we start getting a feeling, a physical sensation somewhere in our bodies when we start feeling tense or upset or disturbed, and we try to make that feeling go away, and that becomes the warning sign. We're getting close to something important in danger. Make it stop. It can also be a sign that says something really important and awesome is about to happen. Stay with it. I felt this queasy, heavy, sore aching in my heart and my belly, and then a deepening of powerlessness and despair. And as I moved into the center of that suffering, was what emerged was the raw pain of separation and a primal longing to belong. The calling out for oneness and unity that we talk so much about. She was able to say, something in my world, in my being is preventing that, and that's what I want as the longing grew more poignant and intense, something crumbled and broke open within me. Grief poured out for all the suffering that comes from making fellow human beings the other, an object less human and valuable than ourselves. I grieved the violence and horrors of racism. My mind filled with images of lynchings of children taken from enslaved parents, of enslaved couples separated, of the ongoing imprisoning, dehumanizing, and keeping down of black people that I knew and cared about. And I grieve for those of us in the dominant race, how our hearts and consciousness have become numbed, dulled, and defended as we violate fellow human beings, how we become imprisoned in an artificially divided, confined world, which reminds me of what Mahatma Gandhi said once. He said, we have great compassion for the English because in enslaving us, they have enslaved themselves. As my mind quieted, I saw clearly there was no bad self, and this is important, but rather a conditioned identification with a dominant group that had been fortified by centuries of racism. Like all of us in this society, I had internalized the message, messages of our racial caste system and the classifications of superior and inferiority that maintain it. But I didn't have to be defended identified with or contracted by these beliefs and feelings. Resting with an open-hearted awareness. What do we talk about so often as a result of our spiritual practice? Mindfulness, being aware. As I had an open-hearted awareness, it was possible to acknowledge the experience of the pain of this conditioning without the judgment and self-aversion that comes from taking it personally. The grieving had broken my heart open. We often say, often say a broken heart lets the love out. Broken my heart open and that tender spaciousness could now hold our hurting world with compassion. Almost done. My experience that evening transformed my relationships with others in the group. I began to see and regard my patterns of white fragility, my guilt and defensiveness with more clarity and kindness. The reactivity I still felt at times was painfully real, but it no longer felt personal. I could more quickly return home to heartbreak and openness. The shift from guilt to sorrow and caring opened the way for loving connection with others and a deepening dedication to helping undo racism in all of its forms. And she concludes with these few words. As a white person, I found it necessary to intentionally run towards the suffering of racism again and again with a willingness to stay with the discomfort. 
a racial caste system violates the humanity of us all and our freedom, our, all of us, requires that we see and feel this directly. My prayer is that we let our hearts be open so that we can tend to the great centuries-old wound we all suffer and that our caring moves us to actively engage in repairing the world. This is an essential part of the spiritual path and a true gateway to living from love. Whew, let's breathe on that. Important words, difficult work that requires spiritual maturity of us all to be willing to run into the challenges. You know, I think in my mind of the images we have from 9-11 and the firefighters and police officers and EMS and everybody who ran into the burning building to help anybody and everybody who was there. That is love in expression. This is powerful work, and I want to be love in expression. I want to use unity's fifth principle that says words are not enough. We must take discernible action. And as each one of us looks into our hearts and looks at the experience and investigates of the other, whoever the other is for you, and ask yourself, Spirit, how can I help? How can I live in love and co-create a world that works for everyone? And in so doing, I guarantee you, you will experience unity awakening. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.